I'm Megan. And I'm Natalie. And this is Body Literacy Babes. We're certified fertility awareness educators. Here on this podcast, we want you to join the conversation. So Nat, we are going to be kind of interviewing you today and focusing more on your story. But before we get into that part of it, I'd love to ask, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. I was just telling you before we were recording that I smashed my phone screen yesterday. (laughs) And so I'm currently getting that fixed and dealing with other fun technical difficulties today. But other than that, I'm doing well. How are you? Okay, good. Yeah, I'm glad that you got that fixed. And the story of how you smashed it was really hilarious before. (laughs) Um, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, hmm, Trying to think of what's new. It's now, now that we've moved, honestly, things have like settled down. I feel like my life has stopped being just a crazy series of events. Chronic pain wise, that's been improving lately. Um, so I feel like my mood's been a bit better too, which is cool. So yeah, I've been Yay, doing, so I've been doing pretty it. okay. Yeah, I feel thank like, you. I feel like once fall hit, things just became so much slower and calmer. Like I think about um, recording back in the summertime and like fitting in recordings with everything else that was going on. Um, in so many ways, it feels like things are just really slowing down, which mm-hmm. I'm super into. Yeah, in the summer, it was, like, crazy. I feel like literally every other day, we would be, like, trying to pick time, and then it would get delayed, and I would be in pain, and then a tree would fall in my backyard, <laughs> and, like, just <laughs> everything was, like, so ridiculous, and oh, uh, boy. it was crazy, but things are, like, yeah, they're, they're leveled off now, which is good. Yay. So I'd love to kind of, like, just kind of transition into the interview. Today, we're talking about kind of your your story, your journey with PCOS. Um, and I'll first just say, like, we're going to make this super just conversational and flowy. I don't really have any specific questions written down or anything. Um, and really, if there's anything, any tangents you want to go on, <laughs> just anything you want to share, I'd love for it to just be, like, really organic. Um, so I guess to start just kind of out of curiosity. Well, why don't we do this? Why don't we kind of just, could you define for people who might not know, what is PCOS? Like, what does it stand for? What kind of is it? And then we'll go more into kind of your story with it. In a very broad uh, understanding, PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I've heard a couple of different stats Um, but basically it's a super common, um, thing for menstruators to experience and, um, it can be, it can result from a couple of different, um, origins. So there's a couple of different drivers for PCOS. So it can show up really differently for different people. And, um, PCOS is basically a cluster of symptoms and to have PCOS generally people need to have I believe two out of three of the following criteria which are polycystic ovaries, menstrual irregularity, and high androgen levels uh, when all other possible causes have been eliminated. So 
you can have PCOS and it can look different uh, for you than somebody else because there are these set of symptoms that show up differently and it can be a really tricky thing to navigate because of course the one of the only um, courses of action in the in the western medical system is the pill so in fertility awareness work we work a lot with people who have pcos um, because they're looking for alternatives to managing their diagnosis so that's kind mm -hmm. of PCOS in a nutshell um, there is also an alternative phrase used to describe PCOS, mm -hmm. uh, which is anovulatory androgen excess, because not everybody who has PCOS has polycystic ovaries, and right. polycystic ovaries can be just normal. Like we can have uh, cysts on the ovaries, and it's not something to be concerned about, nor is it a sign that you might necessarily have PCOS, whereas anovulatory androgen excess is possibly a more descriptive um, term for this set of symptoms. Yeah, I love that you included that. I've heard that too, and I do think it's a better name for it because PCOS, the name can automatically, like as soon as you break down, like, okay, what does it stand for? It's like, okay, polycystic ovarian syndrome. People can naturally have polycystic ovaries though, and they don't have PCOS just due to other like stages in life and other stuff going on. I also really like how in the beginning when you kind of defined it, you said when all other factors or causes are like ruled out, which I think is really key as well, because mm -hmm. people can have these similar types of presenting traits and they may not have PCOS. They might have hypothalamic amenorrhea or, you know, some other type of irregularity going on. And so I do think that's important um, to kind of specify as well. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, so when did you learn that you like have PCOS? How has that gone for you? Um, it has been recently that I've really, um, I guess, had the diagnosis of PCOS However, I've had irregular cycles for a really long time. So when I look back, I have my cycle data basically since 2013. Uh, that's when I started charting my cycles in an app. And then um, in 2015, I actually, or no, sorry, 2016, I started fertility awareness. So then I had a little bit more data. Um, so basically, when I look back, I've had basically since I started charting my cycles with FAM, I've had more irregular cycles than I have had normal regular cycles. And I've had multiple anovulatory cycles every year. And generally, you know, you'll see anovulation sporadically, maybe like once a year uh, for a normal cycling person. But when it's happening frequently, that's a sign that there's something else going on. And then when you pair that with uh, really irregular cycles, so like cycles that are longer than 36 days, I was experiencing that really frequently. So when I started charting fertility awareness in 2016, I'd had like 30 to 40 day cycles up until that point. And then for whatever reason, when I started charting with FAM, my first cycle was over 170 days. 
Um, and I hadn't really wow. changed anything. Like I, the only thing that had changed was I started charting my cycle. So I don't know why that triggered that really long cycle, but that was kind of the beginning of, um, just trying to figure out what was going on. So I had a 170 day cycle and then I had a 30 day cycle and then it went back to really long, like a hundred something days. Um, and then it kind of went back to normal for probably like a year and a half. Like it would be 30 to 40 days. And then I started working a really stressful job. So I was working as a social worker for a year and a half. I graduated university. I started working in the social work field and I was um, constantly stressed out. I was not sleeping. I wasn't eating very well. And my cycles started getting longer and longer. And so it was kind of just like the regularity was temporary and my body was just waiting for something to um, Mm. derail. Like that's almost kind of how it felt. Like it just didn't feel like it took much before things would start getting really long. And usually with those long cycles, so like 80 days um, and around there, I would eventually ovulate. So I, I would at the end of that cycle or I would just have like an ovulatory cycles mixed in. And then in 2019, I quit my job and I went to see an naturopath. And um, we just identified that my adrenals were just like working overtime. And basically um, that was dysregulating, um, you know, the connection between my brain and my ovaries and my adrenals. And that was a big reason why I was having those irregular cycles. Um, So it took about a year for things to regulate. And then I was starting to have normal cycles again. And then coronavirus happened. Mm -hmm. And I had, yeah. So in March, I started having long cycles again. So it was like Uh 40 days, 50 days. And then it was 90 days uh, this summer. So it just like, like I said, it just didn't feel like it took much for things to be dysregulated. Um, And I was doing all the things, right? Like I was living a very like stress, a low stress lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I thought I was eating really well. Um, I was doing a lot of... um, healing and um, just like working with different practitioners. So during Corona, I went to see my naturopath again um, and I got more blood work done. And basically my, my um, adrenals were doing a lot better because I had been out of that stressful job, Mm -hmm. but I had slightly elevated insulin and high DHEA, which is an androgen as well as irregular cycles. So um, that's when I really um, just accepted, I guess, that I had PCOS Mm -hmm. and started really making some changes um, that I hadn't tried before. So for some reason, um, I just tried some other um, ways of eating and then I had specific supplements from my naturopath 
Um, and when I started doing those things, my cycles have finally begun to regulate to um, a much shorter length than I'm used to. So I had a 29 day cycle in August, September, and then mm-hmm. I ovulated on day 18 this cycle. So I'm on track to have like a 30 day cycle. So um, basically, it's starting to feel like since um, having that diagnosis and like starting to make some changes specifically with PCOS in mind, things have made a big difference um, compared to some of the last times that I've experienced um, an evening out, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It definitely does. Um, one thing I'm curious about is like, can you share or, okay, so I want to talk more about like the supplement thing or the the lab testing thing. Mm-hmm. And like, I'd just love if you could share like why it's so important to get actual lab tests done mm-hmm. before taking supplements. Because yeah. um, I think especially for people who have PCOS, you know, amongst all the research that they're probably doing, they're probably coming across a lot of like ads and like different um, sources of supplements and stuff, all of which are probably claiming like this will regulate your cycle, blah, blah, blah. But could you just kind of share a bit about the importance of like actually like working with a doctor and like getting labs done first kind of before Mm -hmm. taking supplements? Yeah, I think it's so important to yeah, to test and to work with, we talked about this before, but work with a practitioner who has um, a holistic mindset, if possible, because you are going to find different lab ranges for what is normal from your family doctor as opposed to a naturopathic doctor, for example. Um, The other thing with PCOS is that Like I mentioned, it shows up really differently for different people. And there are four types of PCOS. So there's um, Mm -hmm. insulin-resistant PCOS, adrenal-based PCOS, post-pill PCOS, and inflammatory PCOS. So if you are taking random supplements that are generic PCOS supplements, you're probably not going to see as big of an impact as if you have your lab work done and identify Um, what type of PCOS you have, and then targeting that specifically with supplements as well as um, it's not going to be just supplements that make the difference. Uh, There's going to be be other factors too, but if you're able to have supplements that are, um, first of all, work with your constitution and your makeup, as well as the type of PCOS you have, that's going to be so much more effective. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. And then the other thing I'm curious about, you mentioned before, and, you know, I'll just also say like any question that I ask, if you don't want to kind of talk about it, feel free to just skip over it and we can do something else. But you mentioned before how in the past you thought that you were eating well. And then when COVID came, which by the way, is like a huge stressor. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's totally understandable that your body reacted in that way Mm -hmm. Um, because everything and everyone was really freaking out at that time. And it's kind of still just continued, of course. (laughs) It really hasn't gone away, but um, people are, I think, just learning to perhaps find more support and stuff. But so you mentioned that before you thought you were eating well for your body, but then you've made some changes. Um, So if you want to, could you share 
more about how that looked for you and like how were you able to determine for yourself what types of changes to make like what resources had you looked into and how has that like been going for you like how is the actual like practicality of like making changes and like your everyday food how is that just like going for you at this point yeah that's yeah that's a really great question um oh yeah i think as somebody in the hormone health world like i said i thought i ate really well like on paper i was Mm -hmm. eating fairly well cooking a lot and eating not a whole lot of processed foods and Mm -hmm. eating lots of veggies and doing all of the things. Um, And when I was working with my naturopath the most recent time around and we were talking about PCOS and um, the insulin resistance that I have, we were talking about blood sugar balance and how Mm -hmm. important it is for someone with PCOS to regulate your blood sugar levels. So avoiding those spikes and dips in blood sugar and eating um, really filling, uh, satisfying food. So making sure that you feel full and you're not letting yourself go hungry. (laughs) So I've always been somebody who Mm -hmm. has like really struggled to maintain good blood sugar balance. Like I've always need snacks and um yeah I, get I remember really... you saying that before like a few podcasts ago you were mm-hmm. saying how like food is like your priority it is and it's become <laughs> like, even more so <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah because I get I get really hangry and I know right away mm-hmm. when um, my blood sugar levels are getting low and I feel really mm-hmm. hungry and I feel like for lots of women um they can probably relate with that as well but I'd never really given it much thought and I feel like when I was hungry I was eating food that were not keeping me full for very long. So um, I wasn't, and then this was the other thing is like, I never said I was vegetarian, like officially, but basically I was vegetarian except for eating out or like maybe Mm -hmm. buying meat like once every two months. Mm. Um, And then since moving in with Matt a year ago, he's a vegetarian. So like eating meat is just like not, was not a priority for me. And I thought that was like the healthy way to go, right? Like we make, um, we have this hierarchy of, of diets and veganism is higher and vegetarianism is higher than eating meat Mm -hmm. in our culture. So I don't know what made me think about incorporating more meat if it was talking with my naturopath or if it was just something else um but I was just really um motivated to learn more about eating more protein and eating more meat because um generally we don't eat enough protein and protein is one thing that keeps us full so as somebody who Mm -hmm. struggles with blood sugar balance and insulin resistance making sure that I stay full for as long as possible, not as long as possible, but just making sure that I'm not eating like um, foods that are going to spike my blood sugar levels, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, Introducing more animal products and protein is a really good way of doing that. So um, I, so that was a huge thing for me and a really big uh, mindset hurdle for me because I had this mentality that eating meat was bad and eating vegetarian was good. 
So, mm-hmm. um, and I think, I think a lot of people kind of get that message. Like I remember even a few years ago when I was first coming into fam, I, it just kept popping up everywhere. Like, and like the Instagram algorithm and stuff would suggest like, here's like some health information and here's like some food. And like, it was all like veganism all the time. And when it's presented to you so often, and like you said before, just culturally, veganism is, you know, kind of, like you said, like kind of up there on the hierarchy. Um, it's, yeah, it kind of becomes ingrained and then you can kind of question like, okay, what's going on? Um, but yeah, I, I love that you're incorporating more animal products and like, so to kind of get a little bit deeper into like the mindset thing, like, um, and I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry, <laughs> but, um, but like, how has that been going in terms of like integrating that in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so I came across somebody who I'm doing the cycle coach training with, who is a health coach. Um, and her name is Lucia Mazella, and she is the founder of Ambrosia's Table. And a while back, probably like in February or March, I came across her YouTube videos and she talks a lot about eating really nutrient dense um, foods, basically like eating more traditional foods, eating from scratch and meal prepping. So I just kind of like binged her YouTube videos and um, really like really love her approach. (laughs) And we connected and I started working with her um, for health coaching in April. So I intuitively knew that I needed some support in making these really big changes, especially living with Mm -hmm. someone who's a vegetarian and, um, just spending more time cooking. And what I realized was that I, while I like could recognize that I was hungry a lot of the times and like cooking was important to me, I wasn't prioritizing my hunger and it was something that I was Mm -hmm. pushing to the side or like not making enough of a priority for. So working with Lucia, like meeting with her every two weeks for several months, um, I was able to like talk about some of those mindset things and like talk about why I felt um, resistant to incorporating meat and how um, when you look at the science, Um, meat is a really nutrient dense uh, source, like a really nutrient dense food. um, That's a really great protein source compared Mm -hmm. to any other plant-based alternatives. Um, And just thinking about all the messaging that I received and also just like learning how to meal prep and knowing that prepping (laughs) and also like meal prepping doesn't have to be like filling up five Tupperware containers of meals for for every lunch. Like that, to me, meal prep is having enough groceries in the fridge and knowing one or two two meals that I'm going to cook that week. Like Mm -hmm. that is that is meal prep to me. And I fill my freezer with. um, I think it's also just important to note to like buy and source um, the best quality meat that you can afford um, Mm -hmm. because. not all meat is created equal and obviously um, factory meat is not ideal in the environment and Mm -hmm. for the animals 
Um, so I filled my freezer with local meats from a farm nearby um, and just started like learning how to cook different types of meats that I'd never cooked before and like learning how to just like incorporate um, different animal um, product based foods and like just having things ready to go like quinoa breakfast muffins in the freezer so like in a pinch mm -hmm. I had like a protein rich breakfast just things like little things like that that I slowly added to my repertoire every two weeks that eventually became a habit yes so yeah I love that you as a fam educator are we're working with a health coach specifically I mean obviously I'm sure that food wasn't like the only thing that you guys are working on but those skills that you mentioned, prioritizing hunger, meal prepping, grocery shopping, learning how to source local high quality meats that you could afford, like those are life skills that you kind of have to like build and practice. Um, and I think that working with a health coach can be a really, really transformative experience, especially when you're doing it for several months and you're checking in every once in a while, but then you have time in between to go and actually incorporate the new skills. Um, I think sometimes when people learn they have PCOS or any health condition, you know, the first thing that comes up is like this feeling of huge overwhelm. And it's like, okay, what now? How do I do this? And reaching out for support from a professional whose job it is to work with you on building skills like that, I think is so incredibly valuable. it's also like, it's like, you know, that's a different skill set than what we do in FAM. And so I think like for anyone listening who maybe is even a FAM educator or they're becoming a FAM educator or something, that's an incredible area to focus on, but we still need help and support and in, in other ways, just like anyone else. Um, so I, I love that like working with that person you're allowing yourself that time in between to like really integrate and practice these new things. Mm -hmm. um, Cause it's really like they health coaching is like a whole industry, like for a reason people, mm -hmm. it can be hard to make changes sustainably, even when you really want to. Yeah. Um, and to, and like you said before, like kind of unpacking the messaging that you had received from um, different angles about vegetarianism and stuff like that. It's like, you you then have someone who gets it to talk mm -hmm. with and and kind of work out these these ideas and thoughts and things that you want to change um so i'm just like really happy for you that you did uh -huh. that and you're doing it and like it, it just adding in those things slow and steady for anyone listening it's like such a different experience that's long term sustainable than just like I don't know, buying a new product one night mm -hmm. or like randomly trying to clean out your whole entire fridge one day. Yeah. Like 
the, those, those huge momentous one day actions aren't going to last as long as like taking it slow and steady and changing out little things here and there and tweaking things here and there. Mm-hmm. So I just think that's incredible. And I'm really like mm. happy for you and proud of you that you're doing Thanks, that. <laughs> I also think it's so much easier to add things than take things away. So like yes. I haven't, I haven't taken anything out of the way yes. that I eat. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't punish myself. And I've always had like, I would say a fairly balanced perspective with food. Like I haven't mm-hmm. struggled I've, I've been lucky to not struggle with disordered eating. And I know that for a lot of people, that can be a huge thing to overcome. Um, so I'm really grateful that I have, like, I don't take things out of my diet or like punish myself for um, eating things that are not like PCOS friendly. Um, but I have found that like, mm-hmm. I just feel a lot more satisfied and like something that I think back to is like I used to really okay I still really love McDonald's junior chickens Mm -hmm, like for sure they're delicious and yeah just tell it like it is (laughs) sometimes like after climbing or like just like late at night I really crave a McDonald's junior chicken I used to crave them probably every week and like would sometimes like have one you know a couple times a month and now I feel like I just don't crave that as much in the same way like I'll still have one from time to time but I really do think that my body was craving meat and protein Mm -hmm. and that I was not eating the way that my body needed me to eat and I really do not think that there is one diet for PCOS. So you'll see a lot of people being like, oh, you need to cut out gluten and dairy for PCOS. I have not cut out gluten and dairy. I have added other things in. And for some people, you know, trying to reduce their dairy might help with their PCOS. And for others, it's going to be something completely different. So really, I would say stay away from people who make claims like that that you need to follow this certain diet for you, any health condition, um, mm-hmm. whether it's or something else. Um, and I feel like, I feel really strongly, and we've talked about this before in the food um, episode, I think my fear of falling into some of those like negative food beliefs stopped me from doing some of this work around food. Like, I think it really made me shy away from um, taking a look at my food beliefs and like working with somebody who had a really balanced perspective on food was really key for me. So working with Lucia, um, I I knew that she wasn't going to push me into doing something I didn't want to do or make me feel guilty for the way that I ate um, or anything like that. It was really a positive supportive experience so finding someone you are wanting to work with a health coach and I do recommend it if you are wanting to make you know some kind of big change or or see some results mm-hmm. um it's it's really helpful but you have to find somebody who aligns really well with you definitely um I love all that I was thinking as you were sharing that um what other resources did you kind of look into or or peruse like in addition to Lucia's work that kind of had an impact on 
this whole journey? Because like, obviously, like, you already chart your cycles, you're a fam educator, um, you're receiving this support from um, a really incredible health coach. Um, Like in regards to PCOS, were there any other big resources that kind of stuck out for you um, to kind of help to learn more about it or um, just with the, with the transition to accepting the diagnosis? Cause you mentioned before you kind of like accepted it and just the way you said it made me think like that was a big deal for you. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I'd love to just hear like if there's, if there were any other big, um, supports for you that have really helped. Mm. Yeah. I work with a lot of I have a lot of support around me for sure. And I, I've always had, I've always been really lucky to have a lot of support for my physical health and my emotional health. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really key. I work with a body talk practitioner, which is a type of energy work. I work with a massage therapist. I've seen acupuncturists off and on. And for me, I just really align with that type of, um, holistic healing like that's just who I am and it might not be for everyone but it really did help me dig into a lot of my food beliefs and my food stories Um, and I think that was that was really huge for me Um, I read a really incredible book by Diana Rogers um, called Sacred Cow Um, And there's also a documentary that's coming out as well. Um, And it's Sacred Cow, the case for better meat, basically just debunking a lot of these stories around sustainability, nutrition, and ethics around eating meat, because I think there's a lot of things that are thrown out, statistics that are thrown out that are not as they seem when it comes to eating meat because of this this narrative that we have around meat. And so the research is just so much more nuanced than some people like to make us think. So that was a really helpful book for me to make up my own mind about eating meat and how I wanted to go about that. Um, and so that was one big thing. And then um, I also just learned a lot from Laura Bryden, who has a lot of information on PCOS. She's a naturopath. Um, There's the PCOS Bible. So Kayla on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Is PCOS Bible a book or is it an Instagram Instagram. account? So these are some some Instagram accounts. So the PCOS Bible, um, that's Kayla, who's a PCOS coach. The women's dietitian is Corey, who is a registered dietitian, talks a lot about PCOS. Um, and then Lucia, who I mentioned, is at Ambrosia's table. And then um, there's also the Food Peace Dietitian on Instagram. It has a lot of really amazing resources on like just like diet culture and PCOS and like how to navigate that. Um, and then there's one more that I'm just pulling up here. Um, Dr. Fiona McCullough. McCull? I don't know how to say your name. Um, on Instagram, who wrote the book, Eight Steps to Reverse Your PCOS. Mm-hmm. I think it's McCulloch. Um, McCulloch. Okay. McCulloch, I'll link I it in the show notes. Um, she has a really awesome post on the connection between insulin resistance, um, androgens, and, and ovulation. 
Um, but basically she explains it so well that um, insulin, insulin resistance and androgen excess have this like funny relationship where they both influence each other. And sometimes insulin resistance can be a cause of high androgen and then androgen, high androgens can also increase um, insulin resistance. So yeah, those are some of the people that I was learning from. My other question, here it is again. <laughs> I'm wondering for you, I know you use a temp drop to temp. Um, and I'd love to kind of switch gears and ask about how PCOS has affected, like literally like how you chart, like like little day-to-day little strategies you use to chart like for example using a temp drop probably um helps you to optimize your sleep because sleep is so important for hormonal health as well um and for your longer cycles um i would assume that it probably makes it easier to just use a temp drop but i'd love to hear like more thoughts on on the temp drop for you or are there any other strategies that you use with charting that kind of um make it easier for yourself or more streamlined yeah that's a really great question temp drop is definitely something that has helped me stay sane um in (laughs) really long cycles because when I was experiencing, once I hit 40 days, usually it's kind of just like the wild, wild west. Like I don't mm. know when it's going to happen. And sometimes, you know, I'll just have, I'll ovulate later on in the cycle, or sometimes I'll just have a bleed and I'll just start a new cycle for my mental health. Mm-hmm. Because I'm so hyper focused on my cycle as a fertility awareness educator, I think yeah. sometimes that can make it almost worse. Mm-hmm. Um, comparing yourself to other people's charts or when, you know, like you're seeing charts coming in every day and you're just like, right. why, like, why is it so hard for my body to do this? And I think part of it is that just like hyper-focus on my cycle that sometimes I just needed to take a step back or take a break. And so with temp drop, I can put like basically put it on, forget about it. And I don't have to sink I don't have to look at the temperature if I don't want to. Um, For people who have really long cycles, sometimes I recommend this or who are struggling with, say, infertility, when you're constantly being disappointed by the temperature that you're getting in the morning, sometimes it's a really good idea to just take a break from temping. So sometimes I just stop altogether or not sync my temp drop to my phone and then I wouldn't have to see the temperature. Um, and then just being really aware of cervical mucus as another biomarker, um, to give me a good clue. Um, I would have lots of patches of, you know, you have lots of patches of mucus and, you know, you fail to ovulate. And then sometimes, um, that presence of mucus can tell you that you are ovulating and eventually, um, I would. So having cervical mucus along with temps, um, to just like have a good sense of when I should start temping again. Um, I recently started now that I've had a couple regular cycles, I recently started taking, um, LH tests again because Mm. it just wasn't feasible. Right. With the long cycles. Yeah. It just, is not, it's just not feasible. And, um, sometimes folks with PCOS who have elevated LH will have 
um, unreliable tests as well. So um, I recently started doing that, which has been another fun thing, but yeah, that just wasn't, just wasn't possible. Um, and then in terms of like using fam for, okay. And then the other thing was like using an app, of course, like I tried paper charting for a while, but I would have to mm-hmm. keep adding a paper to, right. so it wasn't oh, long that's enough. So true. So that was annoying. So paper charting is or not the best way for me to go when I have those long cycles. So using an app is great because you don't have to tack on a piece of paper. Um, and then That's for birth really control, yeah. So for birth control, it can be hard to use. Well, it's not that it can be hard to use fam with PCOS. It's possible. However, with PCOS and anovulatory or long cycles, you have a really lengthened pre-ovulatory phase. So if, um, yeah, so there's, it's just, there's less days for unprotected sex basically, mm-hmm. uh, because you have that really delayed pre-ovulatory phase and depending on your method, if you have a double check method with a calculation rule, that calculation rule is not PCOS friendly. Um, right. you're, have to use condoms or abstain or whatever it is you choose to do during the fertile window. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I've been learning billings and I'm th- going through the billings training, they have a really amazing protocol for PCOS um, and establishing your basic and fertile pattern, which I haven't seen in, in other methods. So while I was experiencing my 90 day long cycle is when I started my billings training. So I wasn't able to apply the basic infertile pattern to that long cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, but just knowing that in the future, that's an option and working with a billings instructor, if you have PCOS and want more days for unprotected sex um, is, is a good option or um, something to think about. So I think that's everything for charting. Yeah, I love that. And I was going to ask, I was going to ask about the natural birth control piece. So thank you for sharing that because it's true. A bunch of methods out there, um, they don't really account for like that level of, um, that level of, I don't know, um, navigation, I guess, like with Mm. PCOS. Um, Because like you mentioned, a a rule that that uses like, a during day, for example, isn't going to really be friendly for, you know, cycles that are really long. Um, it just wouldn't make as much sense. Um, so thank you for sharing that. And if you were open to sharing, and this could be something that we can, um, I don't know, edit out or something if you're not comfortable, but like, how do you handle the fertile window when you are in those long cycles prior prior to working with a billings instructor, like for someone out there who may not have worked with one yet, or, um, I don't know, for whatever reason, they don't, they're not able to or something like, what are some tips that you've found useful in your own life for kind of navigating that? Do you tend to opt for like non-PIV or do you tend to head more toward barriers Um, I know that this is something that kind of just depends from person to person, but I also feel like people out there hearing others firsthand experiences can be just really validating and, and feel supportive. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you're open to sharing. 
Yeah, I think we love talking about this, Megan. So I think it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. Just just the idea that sex is more than PIV sex. That mm-hmm. yes, it's really great to be able to trust fam for birth control and have unprotected sex um, in certain parts of the cycle, and that's amazing and just like really, really great and empowering. However, it's not the only way to like be intimate. So yeah, I think a combination of like mostly non-PIV sex and sometimes condoms. Um, But I think like once you've like, I don't know, I don't love, (laughs) this is like my personal preference is like, I don't Mm -hmm. love using condoms. And Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, just like a lot of alternative sex. And um, I think for some people, withdrawal might be a good option with, mm-hmm. with PCOS because while there is a small um, chance of there being sperm in pre-cum, and it just depends on your method and working with your instructor, FAM is amazing for opening up other ways for sex. And like, it didn't feel like my sex life was lacking in any way because I couldn't right. have unprotected sex. Um, and it's just a choice to choose to use fertility awareness and like knowing that I was working on my cycles really helped as well, that there was like a light at the end of the tunnel and that it wouldn't be that way forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's different for everyone. And then also thinking about people who are using natural family planning, who are abstaining, right? Like that's a whole right. other right. reality. That's a whole and that's, other, exactly. Yeah. So that might not be feasible for for everyone. Yeah, I love that. And also, I'll just throw out, I think we should have a whole episode about sex. (laughs) Yes. I I love, I know we kind of like touch upon it here and there in other episodes, but like, I feel like we need to have a whole episode on that. Yeah, it could just be so fun. And like side note for anyone listening, just a totally random podcast recommendation um but nicole buyer has this like hilarious amazing podcast called why won't you date me (laughs) and (laughs) and it's so fucking funny she's she's just like so bold all the time and like i just love the way she talks about sex like so casually like there's like i just love it and i like strive one day (laughs) to be able to be like that but in the meantime Yeah. I mean, in the meantime, just listening to it, I think makes me even more comfortable to talk Mm -hmm. about it. And, um, so yeah, I am, I'm excited to release the floodgates whenever we have that podcast episode. Um, Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. And like really good point, by the way. Yeah. For people who are using natural family planning, because that is just, it's an entirely, it's sort of like a different way of using fam, um, and the rules can be a bit more restrictive in terms of, uh, types of intimacy. So that's just something to kind of have in mind. Um, so I guess, I think we're getting a little bit toward the end of our time. Um, uh, I'm trying to think, is there anything, I think I kind of covered all the questions I was curious about, but I'd love to hear, is there anything that like we haven't covered or that you would like to just share, for anyone listening who maybe is is struggling with PCOS or they suspect they have PCOS or they know they have it and they're trying to find next steps to take, like, 
anything you want to share or, or cover or promote um, that you think could help in, in any of those ways? <laughs> Super open-ended question. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear just anything else you want to add. Yeah, I thought of a couple of tips that I have just like learned about in the last little while that would be helpful for anybody, not just anyone with PCOS, but I think blood sugar balance and eating Mm -hmm. nutrient dense feeling food is great for everybody and can benefit your hormones, you know, no matter what. Mm -hmm. So adopting that mentality of prioritizing your hunger as self-care and as something that will benefit your hormone health and really thinking about ways that you can make it easier for yourself to eat and take up space in that way can be huge. And then just like underlining the importance of of having stable blood sugar levels. And if you're somebody who gets hungry frequently, thinking about the ways that you snack to avoid those peaks and valleys. So something that um, we talk about is not eating naked carbohydrates. So pairing carbohydrates Mm. with protein Mm -hmm. is a really good way to avoid that blood sugar spike. And then also just like looking up and thinking about how much protein you eat a day. Like something that I learned was that one egg is about the same amount of protein as a slice of cheese. I always thought that eggs were like this, like, like super packed in protein. <laughs> yeah, super protein packed food. And I was like really shocked to just look at what I ate and how much protein it had, and just thinking about like, wow, like that's that's probably why one egg on a piece of toast does not make me feel full for very long. Yeah. So, so just like for you, thinking about what keeps you satisfied and for some people, it's going to look different than for others. And just like eating healthy, non-hydrogenated fats. So healthy fats are really great for our hormones. Um, and then if you are on a vegan diet or vegetarian diet and you have no hormone problems, fine. That is great. Continue on your journey. But if you are somebody who is eating a vegan or vegetarian diet and is consistently struggling with hormone imbalance or PCOS or irregular cycles or any cycle imbalance, it might be worth thinking about upping, you know, protein or incorporating some types of animal products, but not even if it's meat, but just like thinking about incorporating eggs and cheese and other healthy animal products. Um, Mm So. And then just like eating, like avoiding processed foods as much as possible will really help you. And I think Corona has helped me eat out less and like not eat as much like convenience food (laughs) because I'm Mm -hmm. home a lot more. So I think like when you're focusing on cooking your own foods, you're always going to just most likely eat better. Better is going to look different for everybody. Just listening to your body and noticing what keeps you full and what makes you feel good is the best direction above anything that anybody else will say. A couple more tips I'll just add in as well. Sometimes I wonder if I have PCOS because <laughs> I've had some like high androgen levels and stuff in the past. And so I've dabbled in like research in it here and there. And um, just to kind of add to what you were saying So with like avoiding processed foods, like you said before, it can be easier to add in 
more whole foods as opposed to like restricting other areas. In that vein, like I'll I'll still go to the store. I'll buy like a bunch of whole foods and stuff, and I'll but then I'll also still buy like a thing of cookies and stuff. But I honestly find that when I have like fruits and cheese and like dark chocolate and stuff in the house, which are more whole foods, I'm much more um, inclined to go for those. And I forget all about the cookies, <laughs> even though that they're still there and they're still available. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just like still keeping those types of foods available, but trying to add in more of nutrient dense foods that will fill you up and honestly like like you said before with like the mcdonald's um chicken thing eventually your body like stops even like thinking of those types of things like Mm -hmm. over time and again not that it's going to be like different forever like of course we can still have those things um but it just kind of like changes the um the pattern over time, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I wanted to add is just another really excellent PCOS resource that I've, um, that I've, uh, known about on Instagram. Her handle is PCOS health coaching. Her name's Erin. Um, and I worked with Erin. She's a friend of mine, but I've also worked with her in the past for health coaching as well. Um, really incredible experience there. And she has PCOS and, that's really where she focuses. Um, And one thing that she does and she advocates for a lot is um, strength training. And what was funny was like back when I was working with her a couple years ago, that was when I was uh, doing uh, strength training myself. And I was like talking with her about it and saying like how much it's benefited me and like how it's like really massively reduced chronic pain and stuff and how it's like good for your hormones. And she was saying like, oh, like maybe I'll try that. And I was like, yeah, you should. And I was like totally encouraging her. And like a few weeks later, she's like, oh my God, I started strength training with this person and like, it's incredible and I love it so far. And like, since then she's, she's been like really into it as another support for her PCOS and um, strength training can be incredible for bone health, um, for, for um, improving insulin resistance. And just for our hormones in general, um, there's so many benefits. And so for people out there listening, it's just another great resource to check out and something to consider. Um, And I know I had this experience myself (laughs) and I can probably speak for a lot of people. Like I used to hate the idea of going to a gym and of lifting weights and stuff, but I think and this is sort of like what I told Erin when she like made that transition to strength training. I think what really makes the difference is like actually working with a coach who's well-qualified, not, you know, not like a a run of the mill, um, random 24 hour gym, but really seeking out a resource for someone who's qualified. And maybe they even, specifically coach people who have PCOS or hormone imbalances, or they work with women, um, it can just be a really, really great resource and additional thing to add on um, and in your toolkit for managing PCOS and really um, a lot of different hormone imbalances. Okay, so where can people find you online now? You can find me on Instagram at Fertility Awareness Project, and my website is fertilityawarenessproject.ca. What about you, Megan? 
Awesome. So I'm on Instagram and YouTube at Fantastic Fertility, and that's F-A-M, um, like Fertility Awareness Method. Um, and yeah, people are welcome to come say hi on Instagram or go watch videos. Um, people are also welcome to say hi and submit listener stories. Um, we'd really love to hear from you um, via email, or you can leave us a voice message on Anchor as well. So if you submit a listener story, all you got to do is add listener story in the uh, email topic line, send it over to bodyliteracybabes at gmail.com. Um, and then we'll just add in one little tidbit that we're not able to offer like health or charting advice to people who aren't our clients. Um, so just refrain from asking those types of questions, but otherwise we'd love to hear about your experiences or questions um, with PCOS or, or, or other hormone imbalances or just charting. Um, really anything to do with body literacy. <laughs> um, and then last but not least, if you love our podcast, please, 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 we would so appreciate it if you rated us on Apple Podcasts. Um, it just really helps us to get more visibility and to reach and help more people. So we really appreciate it. So until next time, Nat. Body literacy for everyone forever.